as we talk this morning, hopefully at the end of our discussion today, you'll maybe understand a little bit more uh, of, of why it's important that, that we all participate in this thing and why we would probably want to make sure that the technical uh, limits of the things we do in church musically don't exceed the ability of the congregation to join in. Like I read a blog post by a, a writer who, who, <clears throat> who uh, the title of the blog post was Why I Don't Sing in Your Church Anymore. And the reason why he didn't sing in the churches that he was attending was because he couldn't sing the songs because they were uh, way too complex. None, and the stuff we do, generally I choose stuff based, we choose stuff based upon uh, its singability and suitability for the congregation. So, uh, but in, in, in many of you may have been places or you see some places for, you know, we've got, we've got lights that rival the forum and Madison Square Garden. We've got smoke machines. We've got all the technology we've got. Uh, you know, but ultimately, worship is more than just singing, but that's a part of it. Worship is all of what we do, right? And all of it's important, and uh, all of it is to be shared among all of us, right? One of the things I do like about being smaller is the fact that uh, I can, we, I can, we can be challenged in that regard. And as we go forward, maybe in the next year together, we can find ways to be even more participatory and share more and and what happens. That's why I like to hear from all of us as to what God is doing in your life and what the Lord is saying. The New Testament model of worship in the book of 1 Corinthians is, is that kind of thing. And so um, I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you from John, the fourth chapter, verses 20 through 24. And this is Jesus' response to uh, the woman at the well. You remember that story? And uh, she's a Samaritan woman, and there's an ethnic and religious difference between he and her. Uh, he crosses boundaries in order to speak to her because on two levels. He's not basically generally a good Jewish man is not going to speak with a woman in public in that time, in that context. And also there was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of friction or enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so those two groups kind of didn't get along and didn't really acknowledge one another. Jesus crosses those boundaries to engage her, to uh, <clears throat> uh, tell her the truth about herself. But in the midst of the discourse, um, the woman gets on the subject of worship. It's kind of like the, 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 the church question. What, whose church do you go to? What denomination are you? What she's, it's a similar kind of thing. Listen as I read. And this is uh, beginning in verse 20 of John 4. Um, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. This is the woman speaking. On this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. You see how Jesus is transcending the level of discourse. She's saying, uh, it must be about place, right? And y'all do it here, and when we do it there, what's the right place? He's saying it's beyond that. It's not about place. It's not about modalities and, and formalities. But he's saying, listen, it's something deeper than that. And, and God, the time Jesus said is coming and has come, when true worshipers, the kind of worshipers that God is looking for, are those who are true worshipers. And those are the ones who must worship 
in the spirit and in truth. I, I read somewhere about a little boy uh, 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 after church. He went home uh, that Sunday and he knelt at his bedside that night and he prayed. He said, dear God, we had a good time at church today. Uh, I wish you had been there. Um, and, and you know, it's, I don't know if that's true or not. Probably not, but it's, that's a good story, you know. But, but I mean, that statement really sometimes rings true in some of our worship environments today. And understand that the primary reason for us attending a church service, and this sounds so rudimentary and so, 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 so much like a given, but the reason we attend church should be to worship God. Would you say amen to that? Psalm, Psalm 95 verses 6 and 7 says this. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Let me tell you something, folks. Worship is more than just singing a few songs. It's more than just performing a, a few rituals, and it's, and it's more than simply enduring a, the sermon, right? But we come together for several reasons. Number one, we come together to experience the presence of God, We come together to acknowledge God's authority over our lives, and we gather together as believers to worship him as our creator. And so a few few words about what worship is not. Worship is not what it is to some people, which is merely ritual, merely a regular routine that some folks go through once a week. And so you know what we do. We come to a building, we sing a few songs, we listen to a prayer, we or two, we eat a stale cracker maybe and drink some grape juice on, not, not ours aren't stale, surely, but uh, eat a stale cracker and he, he drinks some, hopefully not uh, too old grape juice, <laughs> because we, uh, otherwise we, in our tradition we don't use real wine, but you know, if we keep it back there long enough, it, it, it kind of takes care of itself, right? <laughs> you know, put a couple dollars in the offering plate and you listen to a sermon and then you go home. It's just routine and, and just those rituals and those, those, those rites, R-I-T-E-S, if you will. Uh, but sometimes for some Christians, when we go to church, nothing of significance or importance really happens. But we've done our religious obligation for the week, or for some of us maybe for the month, or for some of us maybe for the year, uh, maybe the decade, I don't know. But there was a, a study by the Barner Research Group in 2012, and it, it revealed something. And it, uh, that, that most churchgoers rarely experience God in worship services. And the survey discovered that while most people surveyed can recall a real and personal connection with God at some point while in church, that's 66% of the respondents, they also reported that these connections are rare. Uh, Among those who attended church every week, less than half, uh, 44%, said that they experienced God's presence. And one-third of those who attended church reported never feeling God's presence in a worship gathering. Uh, that's so sad, isn't it? And, and it seems that for many, worship represents no vital and real connection with God. It's just, it's rote, it's routine. In, in, in reality, it's, it's irrelevant and it's empty and it's boring. But it's not worship. That's not what worship is. So what is worship? First of all, the word worship comes from the Old English worth And it means to declare and to acknowledge the worth 
of God, the worship of God, the fact that God is, and he is who he's revealed himself to be, that he's worthy of our praise, he's worthy of our worship, he's worthy of our time, he's worthy of our money, he's worthy of our attention, he's worthy of our ultimate allegiance. Uh, it's, it's a declaration of the worth of God, and worship also includes being able to see, and that's why I was so glad we sang that song this morning. Well, so glad, I mean, I put it on the list, but uh, open the eyes of my heart, because it's like, worship is, 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 is supposed to be a moment when we see God and, we, and, and the eyes of our hearts are open and it's kind of a wow moment. It's like we, we, we see him in his awe and his, we see him high and lifted up and, and so we go, wow, look at God in our hearts, right? And it's, it's responding to all that God is and all that God has done and all that God has promised to do and all that he will do. And when we worship God, we acknowledge that there's a creator who has authority over our lives and to whom we are ultimately accountable. And so what happens when we worship, we humble ourselves in his presence and we praise him for his goodness. Is that what we did today? Is that what we're doing? And we renew our, our commitment to obey his commands and to, and to seek his honor as we walk in relationship with him. And so this morning in Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman, it didn't take long before their conversation turned to worship, Right? And the woman's question was sincere. She, 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 there was no guile in her. She was, she was coming from the heart. She says, I know that there, I know of two ways to worship. There's the Samaritan way and the Jewish way. She says, but which way is the right way? And so Jesus deals with this question once and for all as he explains to her that the true God is seeking after worshipers. The true God is looking for true worshipers, those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And from what I understand, the Samaritan form of worship, what they were accustomed to, it was characterized by enthusiastic, lively, and highly emotional worship. And though that kind of worship may have been stimulating to the senses and left the worshipers feeling good, they, they were apparently missing something. They, they didn't have important information about God and about the Messiah who was to come. The Samaritans, by the way, only accepted the first five books of the Bible, what we call the Pentateuch, and they, they lacked many of the basic truths about God that may, maybe may have motivated them to worship God in the first place. They tended towards a shallow and emotional kind of worship. But the Jews had a problem on the other end, if you will. They believed truth uh, you know, as, as revealed to them by God, and they really did, and they literally built their world and their entire culture around that bedrock foundation of, 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 of truth. But, but unfortunately, the Jewish form of worship had become very routine, as, as routine as, as lacing their sandals or, or washing their hands. And, and they lacked this spiritual, emotional experience that should accompany knowledge of, of the great truths of Scripture. It's one thing to have emotion. It's another thing to have knowledge. The most wonderful thing in the world is when those two things come together. It's wonderful when we can be enthusiastic and moved and emotive about, about the truth of God's Word. And the same thing happens today because there's some people who worship totally in the Spirit. It's all about emotion. It's all about feeling. Those are the ones who show up for the first part of the, ser- the service, but when the, the pastor gets up to teach, they hit the door because they've, been, they've had their encounter with God and they, they feel all right. You know, I, you, you guys know my history. I've, I've been in uh, a lot of church settings for all of my life. And uh, as a church musician, by the way, in January, I celebrate 50 years 
as an official church musician. I started playing in church 50 years ago, January 1978. I'm going to say how old I was because I, I don't like to get into that stuff. Uh, but, but, and I'm proud of that. I've, and I, I, to have a career as a, as a musician across the board and to do a number of things, but to have served the church. But, man, I have seen some stuff, guys. And you know, every now and then stories come to mind. I've seen some stuff, and, and I've seen folks that totally, it was totally in the spirit. It was all about emotion. It was all about feeling. And it was just sometimes, sometimes it bordered on frenzy. Sometimes it, 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 it ventured into the realm of chaos, right? Um, and, 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 and so some people worship totally in the spirit, in that, in that spiritual and emotive aspect of it. And, and it's true that that worship should happen from the inside out, but and sincere worship begins within the depths of a person's heart and overflows into every area of their life, bringing blessing and joy to everyone around them. But with all the emotion and all that emotional charge, it would be easy to, 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 to place our emotions above God, which places us in turn in danger of making an idol out of worship itself. And for some folks, even today, I believe that's a very real possibility. Get what I'm saying? It's just about the feeling. And, we, and it, for a lot of people, it's really just about the music. On the other hand, there are those who worship God primarily in truth. Those are the ones who show up after the singing. And they, get, they want to be there for the, the sermon. I like folks like that because they, 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 they stay around for the word, right? Uh, and they know God as he's revealed in his word. And they, they're solid in their beliefs. They cannot be, be swayed in their beliefs. They live with purpose and confidence on one level. Their faith for them is a rock in times of trouble. And they provide strength for those around them. Their thinking is clear and untainted by emotion. But we can easily be hindered in our worship if we become so afraid of feeling that we disengage emotionally. And so listen, it's all right when, you, when the tears stream down your face. It's all right when you lift your hands. It's all right sometimes. You know, you know sometimes we, we might have to, the way they used to say it in the Church of God in Christ, go forth in the dance. <laughs> it's all right to, sometimes it's all right to shout for joy. It's all right to, 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 to if you want to take a victory lap around the church, I'm not mad at you. I'm not going to stop you. And, and Eugene, it's all right to cabbage patch at the front door when, when, the, when, the, when, the, when, when sound checks go on, I just see this, this, this silhouette. It's all right because, if the, you know, if the spirit moves, you go for it, brother. You know what I'm saying? That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but, but Jesus tells us that there needs to be a biblical balance to our worship, right? And so the question is, how do we find this balance that Jesus is talking to this woman at the well about, the Samaritan woman? And so what we need to do is we need to have a healthy view of, of worship that's, that's based on the Scripture right? And, and to have a healthy uh, scriptural view of worship, we have to honestly answer, and that's what we're going to do over the next few moments, answer three questions about worship, and, and that's what we're going we're to look at. And the, and the first one is this. Three questions we need to ask about worship, about our worship, about our services, the way we approach worship as a church, as individuals. And the first question is this. Does our worship honor God? Uh, because the primary purpose of worship, guess what? Is not to entertain, but to glorify God. Now, I, I know that if we were to have a power outage, and we've actually had one on, we had one on Sunday morning, and, it, and the power went out, power goes out right here all the time, and it went out, and it was like about 9 o'clock, and it was getting pretty close to service time, and then it came back on. But you know, for some people, if they, we didn't have power, 
because our, you know, our keyboards are electric, B3 is electric, uh, the guitar, he don't bring, he, Bobby don't like to bring his acoustic out, and, and uh, the drums, you know, but if we didn't have, you know, microphones and lights and, and we didn't, you know, for some people, if you just put them in a room with just, you know, with just folks, it, it would be difficult for them because they, they, they have to have that stuff. And, uh, and what happens is we tend to sometimes evaluate our, our services, don't we? Our, what happens in our congregations on Sundays, we tend to evaluate it somewhat like a performance. You know, the, the, you know remember, when we, remember our choir, The Voices of Grace? I'm going to tell Kanye, you know, the one that, this, that my daughter, I taught her to sing. <laughs> she was part of the original, when I first came to the church. Arian, were you in the choir when, when I, we first came here? Your mom was there. You, yeah, you were in the children's choir. Yeah, you were in. So, you know, y'all you know, go way back. And, and, yeah, and Rosalind was in, you know. But, I mean, you know, but you know what we say is that, wow, the, the choir was really great this morning. You know? And that's, that's okay, but sometimes it's just, you know, it's, sometimes it's just on an entertainment value. In other words, they didn't sing flat, right? Yeah. Man, the worship team was slamming this morning. And, you know, and, I, and, and admittedly now, I, I have the... the, the, the the, the band do be, I mean, the band does excel in their musical sensibilities in this environment oftentimes. God has blessed us to have some great people, the singers and, some, and the vocals. But, but you know, some, that's, that's all it's about, right? And, you know, and then they get to, they, they get to evaluating their sermon. Man, Williams really blew the, the sermon. That was the worst sermon I ever heard in my life. And it was way too long. Man, how are you going to stand up there for 25 minutes? <laughs> You know, sometimes we evaluate church kind of like we would evaluate a concert or a show or, you know, a a mere performance. And this is not a mere performance. We ought to be thinking in terms of of the spiritual dimension of how we connect it and how we sense the presence of God and what the Spirit of God may have been doing in the hearts and minds of those who were gathered. And was Jesus glorified? You know, uh, someone named Ben Merrill wrote this. He said, in most churches we have the preacher, listen to this, this is an important quote, we have the preacher performing with God as the prompter and the people as the audience. In truth, worship should be the people performing with the preacher as the prompter, and God as the audience. Get that and never forget it, okay? We worship, we, we worship and we, we, we do what we do for an audience of one. We don't do it for each other, although in doing it we edify and build up and bless each other, but we do it for an audience of one. We are performing for God. We are doing it to tell him how much we love him and how much we thank him. An audience of one. Psalm 29, 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory, do his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Uh, Revelation 14, 7 says, Fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Listen to me, friends. We worship to bring glory to God and to express our gratitude for his goodness and our love for him and our appreciation of his faithfulness. Our goal is to please him. And yes, we like things to be done with technical ex- excellence. We like things to be done artistically that, 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 that are pleasing. We don't offer God or each other any kind of junk. But understand this. First and foremost, before we do one thing or before we go any further, our goal is to please God. And so the question that we need to ask is, does our worship honor God? 
Sometimes that will help us to not be so hypercritical because when we, sometimes we may be in other settings and maybe it's, it's a different culture, it's a different uh, a way of doing things, maybe a different standard because uh, the expectations are different. Maybe there's a different, you know, some people are, in, are still living in, in, in maybe in a different year than we are maybe and, and, or then some people are beyond us or, or, or are more advanced. But apart from all of that stuff, you can find God in all kinds of places if you're looking for him. Because the, the issue is not whether our worship just makes us happy, but does our worship honor God. And so we make it our goal to please him, to make his heart glad, to perform together for this audience of one. That, if, if, you, if you'll grasp that this morning, it can revolutionize your thinking about church. Because if you do it just because your mama said go, or you do it just because you, if you don't go, Pastor Charles is going to look at you sideways next time you go. Or if you don't go, you know, your wife or your husband is going to get on you. But if you do it because I'm going because I want to show God how much I love him, and I want to go and participate with God's people, and, and I want to I perform my act of worship before the audience of one, my God. Question number two. Does our worship inspire, uplift, and transform the worshiper? The primary purpose of worship is what? To honor God, right? But I'm really glad that our corporate worship together has some some byproducts, right? And one of those byproducts is that worship, when we worship in spirit and truth, as Jesus described, our worship will uplift and encourage the worshiper. David says in Psalm 122.1, I quote this so much you should know it. He said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That's from the King James Version. Why was he glad? Because there was something that he got there that he didn't get anywhere else, right? And when we genuinely worship God, we receive inspiration and we are empowered for living. God ordained worship not only because he deserves it, and he certainly does, but also because we have an instinctive need for worship. We're wired to worship. We have a need to worship. There was a book some years ago a guy named William Hendricks wrote called Exit Interviews, revealing stories of why people are leaving the church. And he had made this observation. He said perhaps the most common complaint of those that he had interviewed was that worship services were boring. It was not just that these gatherings were not interesting. They were not worshipful. They did little to help people meet God. However, I did not hear this as a call for more entertainment, but for more participation. You hear that? The most important benefit of a worship service for us is an awareness of the presence of God in the midst of his people. And this awareness of the presence of God is more important than, than, than an impressive worship team, a, a bomb singer, uh, if you're older, I mean a good singer, <laughs> you know, or even a sound and relevant biblical message from the Scripture. And I've heard it said that when interaction with God is, is absent, church loses much of its appeal. People come to church because they expect to find God there. Let me just add this, that I am, I am, I am always in, in process. I'm always, in my, I'm always evolving and growing and thinking and trying to, and trying to, to hear God. And, and, and that's, that's my concern for us. Is I'm more, more than anything else, my concern is that, is that people find God when they come through these doors. 
Uh, and it just so happens that we do certain things well and some things not so well. And we are who we are. And God has graced us with certain gifts and certain abilities. And then there's some things we lack. But, but for whatever we are and whatever we do, the, the most important thing is that people experience the presence of God there. People come to church because that's what they're looking for. They're not looking for, for and if they're looking for the best orator in town, that's too bad because that's not what it's all about. Most people, that's not really what drives them. They're looking to find the presence of God. Blaise Pascal, the famous 7th century, 17th century physicist, he's famous for this statement. He says, there's a God-shaped hole in every heart that only God himself can fill. And so we, as human beings, instinctively worship God because God created us to do so. And guess what? When we do what we were created to do, we get inspired and blessed and fulfilled and our lives are enhanced and we add value to, uh, to, to the world around us. There's something inspirational and encouraging about singing songs of praise and worship among other believers. Amen? That there's something cleansing there should be about taking communion and, and, and praying and asking God for forgiveness and renewal surrounded by your brothers and sisters, others who are doing the same thing. There, there's something uplifting about hearing the truth of God's word uh, proclaimed boldly in, in an assembly of believers and, and having this corporate sense of hearing God speak through the word. And there's something moving, isn't there, about seeing people give their lives to Jesus and turn their lives over to, to God. That's why the, the writer writes in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. You ever gone to church and didn't feel like going? Some, some of you are real spiritual say, oh, no. You ever gone to church and didn't feel like going? Would you be surprised if I told you that every now and then, uh, yeah, I've been doing this a minute, uh, that uh, sometimes, not, not very often, there have been one or two times <laughs> when, I, when I didn't feel like going to church. And, and, and sometimes, you know, I don't feel like preaching, you know. One Sunday morning, a mom called upstairs to her son and she said, honey, it's time to get up and get ready, get ready for church. Son called back down the stairs and said, but I don't want to go to church. She said, come on, honey, it's time to go to church. She said, give me one good reason why I should go to church. She said, listen, I'll give you three. She yelled up. She said, number one, it's the right thing to do. Number two, you're 35 years old. And number three, you're the pastor. <laughs> uh, you see, sometimes I, I might not feel like going to church, but even when I don't feel like it, I go to church anyway because God has commanded me not to forsake the assembly. And let me let you in on some of you saying, yeah, but if he wasn't a pastor, he probably wouldn't know. If I weren't a pastor, I would go. If, he would, if, I, were, if I were not a, music, a church musician, I would go to church because I'm, I'm, I'm a Christ follower. And I, and I, and I, I believe that is, that is my, my calling and that is my responsibility. And I, and I believe that's the source of my strength and my life. And I think about later seasons in my life. You know, one day, I don't think I'll ever retire, but I probably won't be doing this. Oh, my God, you, you, you're going to get, when I get like 80, 90 years old, you're going to probably say, okay, that's enough. You know, but, but I think about the fact, I, I, I envision myself not, you know, now I can like really take up golf. Can you imagine some old guy trying to, at the driving range? All right, and I missed it again, you know. 
but but I, 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 my vision of myself is even when I can't do anything or maybe it's not my place or my time to serve or to do or to give anything, the, and the, the things I do now, I always do something. I just, I will be there. I will find somewhere. I will be with God's people in a regular setting on, on Sundays as a worshiper. Uh, you know, because even though I might not feel like going to church when, when I don't, when, you know, even, uh, when I go, uh, I, I realize that God has commanded me, number one, not to forsake the assembly. And, and as I sing and, and play the songs anyway, even when if I don't feel like it, I do it because God told me to make a joyful noise. I can make a joyful noise even when I'm not so joyful. Amen. And I, and I preach no matter how I feel about it because God has commanded me to preach in the words of Scripture in season and out of season. So you do it when you feel it. You do it when you don't. You do it when you're inspired. You do it when you're... And sometimes you do it when you're sick. You do it when you're, when you're, when you're bereaved. You do it when you're, when you're in seasons of loss. You do it when you have looming questions in your mind. You do it in times of calamity, in times of disaster. You do it. You keep on doing it. And you know what? When I, when I do what God has told me to do and I go where God told me to be, and that is to, is to be in worship, no matter where I start off, I always end up feeling better. Some of you know how that goes. I get lifted up by worshiping with the, with, with, with the assembly of believers. Some of you, you drag in here. You're dragging here. Oh, Lord, I can barely make it to the house to worship. And you get in here, but, and then, but then you like, you, like here's the thing is, you're dragging here, and then when we get ready to shut it down, Greg, we can't get them to leave. We're locking the doors, flashing the lights, and it just, oh. That's all right. Start, we, shorten worship, we shorten the service time. You still, you know, still won't go. That's good because we find something in the presence of God among his people that we don't get anywhere else. So, and then the third thing is, third question is this. Does our worship draw visitors? We could substitute that with the word seekers, if you will. Closer to an encounter with Jesus. In Acts, the second chapter, right? You know, in Acts, the second chapter, we have the day of Pentecost. We have, right after that, we have... uh, uh, after the Spirit is poured out, we have um, Peter preaches this w- beautiful sermon on the day of Pentecost, and, and, and all these thousands of people come to faith, and, and then the church kind of emerges into the end of, the, of, of Acts, the second chapter, verse 47. It tells us that the church, this, 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 this budding church in Jerusalem, says they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Oh, we have a baby. Oh, okay. okay, I know Orion wasn't here. That's the other baby. <laughs> I said, oh, Lord, this Orion's following me. <laughs> but you, you, you see the picture of what was going on there? God was at work and the Spirit was moving and, 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 and people were, were being drawn into that environment. The, the worship was drawing uh, visitors, or, or in this case, seekers and unbelievers in, in, uh, closer to an, an encounter with Jesus. Evangelism evangelism is a very natural byproduct of authentic worship. And so when people from the outside come onto the inside and they see Christians genuinely worshiping, they're attracted. And the Holy Spirit works through worship to draw seekers to Christ. Amen? Sally Morgan Thaler, in her book, Worship Evangelism, wrote this. She said, worship is the most powerful tool we have for, for satisfying the hunger of famished injured souls, for breaking down spiritual strongholds of pride and unbelief and ushering in the gift of true joy. How can we refuse 
to use it. Our whole culture, saved and unsaved, is starving for an extraordinary glimpse of God. Worship is not just for the spiritually mature. It is for the spiritually hungry, and that includes more people than we realize. Remember what Jesus said in John 12, 32? He said this, he said, But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. In other words, when Jesus Christ is exalted, people are attracted. You believe that? We can try to be more marketable. We can try to, 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 to uh, be more commercial. We can try to do a lot of things, but the most, the, 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 the most important thing we can do to serve our cause, or the cause of our call to evangelism, is to be as authentic and as passionate and as genuine in our, and biblically centered in our worship as we can. Because bottom line is this, people are hungry for spiritual things. Ultimately, even those outside of the church in the world want the church to be the church and to own up to who we really are. And you know, a lot of, oftentimes in our culture, the church is preoccupied with a whole lot of other things other than being the church and experiencing the presence of God. Uh, everything else that people need, they can get somewhere else. You hear what I'm saying? Uh, another, and Morgan Taylor, she, she writes, she continues, she says, they, they can pay 30 bucks to go see a comedian or whatever. He says, but what people want today is God. They want to feel God. They want to know God. There is no substitute for the presence of God. And listen, again, you can, uh, I, you know, you can get good music in a whole lot of places. You know, you can go to the conservatory on, on early weekday mornings and hear some gypsy jazz that will stir your soul with, with Jeff here, you know. You, you can hang around with me and Bobby and, our, and, 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 and the guy, Little Willie G, that we work for, slamming band. You can go to, the, you can go to you know, L.A. is filled with venues and there's all kinds of stuff. You can go to the movies and, and, and have your senses awed. You know, you, you, there's, you can get entertainment of, of all kinds of forms and all kinds of places. But there's only one place where you really experience the presence of God and that is among his people. That is in the context of worship. So let's make sure that with all the other things, the trappings and the things, the cultural uh, tools and conduits we use to, to accomplish what we do, let's make sure that most of all, above everything, that we are experiencing the presence of God because that's what people, that's what people really need. They don't need us just to be hip and cool. You know, it's not just these good-looking preachers. Oh, forget it. <clears throat> but how, let's, let's wrap this up. What we do in a couple of hours of corporate worship each week really is to be a reflection of what we do the other 167 or so hours a week. Here's the the plain truth, and that is that God really despises worship, corporate worship, if the worshipers have hearts that are not right with him. Amos the fifth chapter, verse 21 through 24, and this is God speaking to the prophet Amos. He says, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. Wow. I will not listen to the music of your harps. No, let me, I will not listen to the music of your stratocasters. Harps. (laughs) But let, but he goes on to say, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness, righteousness like a never-failing stream. 
without going into a, launching into a social commentary and wearing my feelings on my sleeve, in, the, in, in America today, I think that we churches often miss much of the point. And I think that God sometimes is saying, away with your, I don't care about your money, I don't care about your music, I don't care about all the stuff you do. If you don't care for the poor, the oppressed, the least of these, if you don't care about justice, if all you care about is using politics to manipulate the world to where you want it to be, instead of using the gospel to shape the hearts and the lives of people the way God wants to do it. But worship is not something we do in an hour or two a week. It's a lifestyle that we offer to God. That's why Paul tells us in Romans 12, chapter verse 1, he says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. I close with this. There's a old story concerning King Cyrus. You know who that was? He was the founder of the Persian Empire. And, he, and uh, he's, mentioned, of course, mentioned in the Old Testament. And, uh, according to legend, Cyrus once captured a prince and his family. And uh, when, they, when the family came before him, the, Cyrus asked the prisoner, he says, what will you give me if I release you? The half of my wealth was his reply. And if I release your children, everything I possess. And if I release your wife, he says, your majesty, I will give myself. Cyrus was so moved by his devotion that he freed them all. And as they were on their way home, the prince said to his wife, wow, that's Cyrus. What a powerful guy. Wasn't he, wasn't he, did you notice what a handsome man he was? And she had a deep look of love for her husband. And she, she looked at him and she said, I didn't notice I could only keep my eyes on you, the one who was willing to give himself for me. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He presented himself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. John the Baptist describes him. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And idolatry is the worship of false gods, but Worship is taking our affection off of our idols and putting it back on God where it belongs. The root word for idolatry means the way I see things. And false worship is when we worship the way we see things. So the question is, what are you looking at this morning? Are your eyes, like that woman, focused on the one who is willing to give himself for you, to give his all for you? Or are you looking at everything else around? That's what worship is all about. Our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.